Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's weekly podcast, semi-weekly podcast. Semi-semi-weekly. I'm John Howard. I'm here with Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest is the one, the only... Paul Mitchell, the numbers guru, and he's going to tell us everything about this election we need to know. Also a streaker, well-known streaker. No. Yes. And the one, the only, isn't usually used in reference to my name, Paul Mitchell. It's usually <laughs> I'm the other non-shampoo Paul Mitchell. <laughs> oh, that's right, over on Folsom Boulevard, I think, right? Isn't that well, there's the big... a whole bunch of Paul Mitchell salons. There's even a, around the Capitol, there's a, literally a Paul Mitchell free hugs day every year. <laughs> Paul, take your arms <laughs> off. <laughs> uh, the craziest election any of us have ever seen, I think, at least me. Uh, in California, solidly blue state, there weren't really all that many surprises. There were certainly some. But what's your first takeaway? What, what have we gone through and what can we expect politically? Well, you know, we definitely have shown that California is different than the rest of the country. And we'd seen this in past elections. Remember, even in, uh, in 2014 and 2010, you had this... This, these national waves favoring Republicans, and then in California you had, you know, actual gains. So, um, you know, this is something that we've known, this difference between the California electorate and the rest of the country for a while. Um, you know, but there are, like you said, potentially lessons to be learned both within California. We had a phenomenal amount of voter registration, a huge wave of new voters, um, and turnout a, was very good. Turnout was not only very good, but it was very good in a voter file that was comprised of a lot more young people, a lot more minorities, as we saw in one of the articles that right before the election. Uh, millennials are now the plurality of the voter file. And so when millennials have essentially taken over the voter file and we're still having 75% turnout, that is even better a rate of turnout than the raw numbers suggest. It's, it's the largest number of actual voters that have ever voted in a California election. And it's you know holding consistent with 2008, 2012 type numbers in terms of the rate of turnout. And that's of an electorate that is traditionally a much lower turnout electorate. Is that unique to California or is that something you're seeing nationally? So there have been surges in voter registration around the country as well, but around the country that voter registration surge might have been a little bit more different. The voter registration surge in California was uh, much younger, much heavily, more heavily minority, um, whereas in other states, especially in the primaries, we saw some spikes on voter registration of white working class and, and other populations, so um, not necessarily as consistent uh, around the country is just in California with regards to the types of voters. But, um, and also, other states, the data available in other states is really a lot less than what we have in California in terms of quality. And so it's almost harder to really slice and dice, uh, you know, both the starting point for where voter registration was in some of these states and the end point of where it actually eventually you know, it, where it grew to, um, because we just, the, the data isn't as high quality in other states. So, uh, California's a blue state. Yeah. Um, 
Are there any surprises on the red side, the red side of the line in California? Did, did Republicans surprise you in any way? Did we have any local races where maybe you, that you saw that? Well, I think the thing that um, is maybe surprising, or at least went a little bit against the grain, given the fact that we saw California's surge in, you know, young people, millennials, Latinos, the Democratic registration, and and, uh, and the big numbers for Hillary, was in fact that Republicans held on to a number of close congressional races. So, you know, if, if you had told me that the Democratic presidential nominee was going to win Orange County, I would say, uh-oh, there goes ISA. You know, there probably goes uh, maybe Denham. Uh, you know, you know, there's there were a number of congressional races that would kind of be more in play, but ISIS was close, probably closer than he expected. Yeah. You know, a year out. I read it was closest in the country for a Republican incumbent. It might have been. It was one of the closest races in California for sure, among legislative and congressional races. It was one of the closest. Are there any um, patterns here? You know, uh, we just Chuck McFadden writes where he did a story and posed the question. Does Trump's success serve as a template? Does it serve as sort of a, as, uh, a precedent for other Republican candidates? Nationally? Nationally, or in California. I mean, do you see someone running, you know, maybe a Republican in the Inland Empire, like Tim Donnelly or somebody running? Although Trump's an anomaly in that he was such a unique celebrity, you yeah. could maybe liken him to Jesse Ventura or Arnold Schwarzenegger or even Ronald Reagan. Yeah. You know I mean, but. So, the, the, yeah, there, there's this crazy anomaly with Trump, that's for sure. We did, however, see both on the Democratic and Republican sides uh, kind of populist messages and populist candidates uh, outperform every political pundit's expectation. Um, our priors in looking at presidential races really failed us because, you know, Trump's coalition he built was different than a coalition that's been built by any other Republican. Sanders, even, coalition... You would not have expected a, you know, an old crotchety white guy to energize young people the way that Bernie Sanders did, right? Why not? We're pretty charismatic. <laughs> yeah, we have charisma. So, you so, give it. John has. He gave John hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he did. Um, so uh, I don't necessarily believe that Trump is somebody who can be replicated either locally or um, in future presidential races. And, and those are actually two different things. Even if somebody could replicate themselves as Trump locally, the problem is that Trump's huge name brand, uh, his uh, saturation of the media, allowed him to kind of dispense with the normal courses of election, the normal yeah. responsibility for things that he says, and and the normal repercussions of uh, alienating certain voting blocks, all those kind of things. A local candidate wouldn't ever have that kind of media saturation. Although, you know, uh, locally here in Sacramento, Kevin Johnson actually had a little bit of that. Certainly, well, his first they, run, yeah, he but, ran into people said, oh, well, there's no thing, but, like, but he was one hell of a ball player. No. <laughs> Kevin Johnson had charisma. Uh, he also ran as a much more traditional candidate. Yeah, true. Um, and so, you know, even Arnold Schwarzenegger... Uh, ran as a more traditional uh, Republican candidate with kind of a California edge to it in terms of like being for the environment, being pro-choice and so on. Um, but Trump went completely outside the norms and completely destroyed 
most of what we think about both campaigns and how people are supposed to engage in public. One of the interesting challenges then is that for Republicans nationally is that they came out of 2012 and created this plan in 2013 about how the country was going to change and how they needed to reshape their party and the kind of candidates that would run and the messages those candidates would run on based on how America is changing. And Trump goes into his campaign, blows that whole plan up, runs on a totally populist message that is almost not replicable by anybody else. He's going to rerun for, he'll run again in 2020, and largely on these populist messages. And essentially, Republicans won't have a chance to get back to that 2013 plan about the changing com country, the changes their party needs to make, the changing messages their candidates need to run on until 2024. So, and by this, then, is it still valid? Well, it will be even more valid. I think that even the the messages of California is changing, and the demographic not just California, but the nation is changing. The demographic challenges that pay, poses for the Republican Party, the need for them to create messages around that are essentially they hit the pause button on all that for as a party because now they have this populist person spearheading the whole movement. Once that populist, you know, candidate who are now soon to be president, who has this ability to go over the norms of our political system and speak to people in a way that is more like at their core heart, you know, and less at their mind and at their, you know, policy, um, it, it almost sets Republicans back. That in eight years they're going to be walking back out into a traditional Republican campaign and have lost a lot of ground um, in terms of trying to reach out to uh, America's kind of changing demographics without that amazing they, you know, they might be at a disadvantage thing. anyway uh, I mean historically it's hard not always not, this isn't always true but after two terms by one party yeah. there's sort of a I don't yeah. know what you call it sort of fatigue with the incumbent yeah. and the other party has a leg up yeah. Trump strikes me by virtue of his personality and all the media coverage on him the fatigue might come early with him I don't know but I mean People in our positions have done a horrible job predicting what's going to happen with Trump. I mean, it's almost like we've always expected that there was going to be this cliff. And, you know, the cliff was supposed to be New Hampshire, and then the cliff was Super Tuesday. And then the cliff was as soon as it got narrowed down to two Republican or three Republican candidates in the primary. And then the cliff was, you know, going to be California in the Republican primary. He ended up winning it. His, his, his uh, votes uh, by the time he got out of Indiana. Um, then the cliff was going to be some point in the presidential campaign or the first debate or the second debate or the third debate and then election day and now we're continuing to project this idea that there's a cliff coming. What was the, when he first declared, okay, middle of 2015, Yeah. Uh, I think the polls were showing a 3% three to 5%. Three to yeah. Um, did you have any indication, as a professional pollster, did you have any indication this guy had tapped into something the rest of us didn't see or was it looked like a snowball that might catch? You know, I didn't do any of the national polling, um, but from what I saw from the public polling, um, there was not anything really to show that he was a legitimate real candidate for months. And even going into... 
you know, Iowa, New Hampshire, and the early primary states, his percentage wasn't overwhelming, um, but he was in a situation with such a split-up field where the greater energy on his side, his ability to run a non-traditional campaign and, and organize essentially through uh, his media voice rather than from his you know, people knocking on doors, walking precincts kind of methodology that every other campaign was using, um, you know, allowed him to win some of these early contests that, in a very non-traditional way. So, no, it didn't show up in the polling like you would see a traditional candidate. And uh, even we suffered a little bit of this Brexit thing with Trump uh, early in the primary polling because... The failure of Brexit and the polling wasn't that the polling said that England was going to stay in the EU. The polling actually said that England was going to vote to leave. It's all the pundit class in the media that said, well, those polls are all wrong because X, Y, and Z, and they said our gut is that England's going to stay. And so wow. when England actually left, they didn't fall everybody, the everybody freaks out and starts blaming the polling. Uh, the polling was actually showing... But it's fun to blame you. It's fun. <laughs> well, it's more fun to blame you than blame ourselves. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's not you the know, media's fault. We know that. So, so going back a little bit, we're talking about the position that the Republican Party will find itself in in eight years with changing demographics. But to put that in perspective, right now, the Republicans hold something like, what, three-quarters of all elected offices in the United States are held by Republicans. I think they hold... A vast majority of the governorships. They hold a vast majority of every elected legislative body. Mm-hmm. They hold majorities in the House and the Senate. They control yeah. the presidency. So, Republicans okay. are actually, just to put a point on it, Republicans are one state legislature away from being able to exactly. ratify a U.S. constitutional amendment. So, this is, I, I mean, we yeah. talk about. They could get them, rid of the Electoral College. Yeah. <laughs> and that's going to happen. No, um, and I mean, could. that's, that's, that's the story. point, is that, uh, you know, people talk about this precipitous place the Republicans are in, which, you know, a month ago or a month and a half ago before the election, everyone talked about how they needed to really rethink things and they were, there was going to be a civil war within the Republican Party. Well, obviously, when Trump won, that went by the wayside. But the reality is they, they have such a dominance of politics in the United States, not in California, not in, mm-hmm. in Oregon, not in Washington State, and not in some of the northeastern states, but really everywhere else. Yeah. So this is really something that people so, need to talk about. It is, and part of it is, a lot of it, it has to do with demographics. The fact is, like even in California, if we were to take all California's 58 county supervisors, there's more Republicans than there are Democrats. By a long shot, probably. And it's because every rural county gets the same number of supervisors as L.A. County. And, or you know, so there's, when the demographics of the country has these deep concentrations of Democrats in urban cores, and then miles and tens and, you know, thousands of miles of large rural, uh, the, the large chunk of the Midwest that is still much wider um, uh, and much more Republican than the rest than the urban areas, you do have the situation where if you're to, you know, lay out the members of Congress and the 
the state houses and the mayors and the you're going to be much more Republican in that kind of scenario because the Democrats are concentrating in some areas. Um, on the edges, there is, I believe, this this impact that I, I haven't seen a lot of writing on this yet. But in the days and weeks leading up to the camp, up to the election, everybody thought Trump was going to lose. Yeah. Everybody thought Hillary, including Clinton Trump. Going, yeah. <laughs> everybody thought Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president. And Republicans were already shifting their message to, we need to elect our local member of Congress as a Republican because we need a check on Hillary. And Hillary had huge negatives, right? And so a very disliked Democratic president waltzing into the White House and a very motivated uh, conservative or even conservative to independent base in a lot of the country more forcefully voting for Republican members of Congress and the Senate because they felt they needed it as a check on Hillary, who ended up not winning. So on the margins, maybe a 5 or 7 or 8 percent uh, bump up for Republicans, it, their ability to win these close U.S. Senate races and their ability to win these congressional races and ICE's ability to win. If, if people thought Donald Trump was going to be the next president, I don't think ICE would have won because there wouldn't have been that, you know, voting for ISA because you think it's going to be a Democratic president winning the White House as a defense, essentially. Hmm. Um, but then, yeah, so what's going to be very interesting is going into 2018 and 2020. 2018 is actually a pretty bad year for Democrats. Yeah, on the Senate. On the, on the U.S. Senate, because that wave of senators uh, has very few incumbent Democrats and or very few incumbent Republicans and lots of incumbent Democrats that are going to be vulnerable. Um, 2020 will be a much better year for Democrats in terms of the U.S. Senate. In the House races, I don't, and in state legislatures around the country, it's really an open question as to what happens in the next year with this first, you know, even the first hundred days of the Trump presidency. If the Trump presidency does fall off the cliff that we've all been seeing in our you know, thinking it was right out there, we could almost touch it, we could almost taste it. You know, this this cliff that's two weeks away or two months away. Um, and your old school professor, Alan Lookman, says he's going to be impeached. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. Um, that's another but, story. Go ahead. Yeah, but if, if there is some absolute failure in this administration leading into 2018, you could see a whole sweep of Democrats winning congressional races and state houses. And, well, sure. I mean, that happened that. with and then also it with Nixon. With it, the Nixon yeah. thing, I know uh, Denny Mengers got in, I think, in Orange County. Yeah. You know, back in... And um, that would have its own implications for Democrats in terms of being able to control redistricting going, you know, into the 2020... Um, uh, you know, census and the release of that data in 2021 and the redrawing of all the congressional district lines. Because a lot of the congressional, the long, a lot of the strength of Republicans um, has to do with re, with redistricting. And um, uh, right now, the stage is set for Republicans to run the table on redistricting for the next decade. So, do these states? Do a lot of states have an independent commission? No, so very do, few. Yeah, very few states have an independent commission. It's us in Arizona and uh, Washington and uh, Florida has something. So, um, or Florida has a process. The, 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 there are a few states that have the ability to put a ballot measure up to force a statewide redistricting, but for the most part, redistricting is still going to stay in the, the hands of the legislature and the governor. 
Um, and so who, own, who has control of those legislatures and governor's offices is paramount to uh, that redistricting and, uh, you know, as a result of the redistricting, the ability for um, Democrats to regain hold of some of those congressional seats. Because you could see a situation where Trump does really well in his first year. Uh, Republicans pick up more U.S. Senate seats. Republicans see gains in state legislatures and, um, and Congress, and then are able to solidify those gains because they own the redistricting process. You think California is the permanent outlier? Now, as we go forward, it's going to be California against the rest of the... It might be California, Oregon, Washington. And, and New York and, New York and, and, and Washington, D.C. And yeah. yeah, there's going to be... Um, I think for a good long while, and I think that there are states that in the coming years will start to trend that way, you know? Uh, Nevada, even Arizona, even Texas in four or eight years could start to see uh, trends of becoming more uh, of an outlier to... Well, in Georgia, uh, did, I mean, was much tighter than anyone had originally foreseen. Yeah. Um, I think what you really need to look at is the states that have immigration patterns and a lot of uh, young people who are going to be turning 18 and uh, uh, kind of changing the demographics of those states. Um, so I think it's going to continue to be that it's urban America versus rural America. Yeah. Um, and I, unfortunately, I think it's going to continue or even, it seems crazy to say, increase in its polarization um, uh, based on what happens in the next couple of years. And one last question. The, uh, the role of the millennials? Yeah. As we go forward, are they engaged and going to be more politically active? And uh, there's been disappointment, at least on the Democratic side, with the way the millennials showed up. What, do you have any thought on it? Well, there shouldn't be disappointment if the, the millennials showed up in this election in California because, first off, we don't have the data in to show whether they participated or not, but mm -hmm. currently signs kind of suggest that they are. Uh, they did turn out in high numbers. Um, the problem is that millennials don't participate in each election. They participate in the big, exciting presidential general elections, and they kind of fall off for a gubernatorial election or a primary. Um, you know, they kind of follow elections like I follow, you know, college basketball, which is, you know, I, I actually bought tickets to the NCAA tournament, uh, but uh, I never pay attention to what's happening in regular season games. And, um, and so... Yeah, as long as that continues, uh, millennials will have an outsized uh, share of the actual voter file, but an undersized share of the impact in, you know, who actually gets elected, what measures pass, who's their local mayor, who's, you know, whether or not they have a soda tax or a, um, you know, pot stores or anything like that locally, because they aren't engaged in those off-cycle and smaller elections. Okay, fair enough. Paul yeah. Mitchell. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. Jim yeah. Foster, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the Naked Coffee Lounge, which let us sit in the back here and yell and scream till other people left, left us alone. So this is John Howard with the Capital Weekly Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.